1: Up front. Yeah, I'm back from vacation. Yeah, welcome back. Time we could tell. Yeah, 50th birthday uh, cruise know, with
0: Disney. You're looking tan. you looking tan, relaxed, and, and, relaxed. Right. and you said it was a great experience. Terrific. So, shout out to
1: Disney. Shout out to Disney. Which is. is weird that you're shouting mm. out to Disney, but why not, right? Sure. Maybe they'll be a sponsor. Mm. And yeah. um, they gotta like sobriety. The mm. mouse ain't drunk. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> they like the sobriety in their employees. <laughs> um, so anyway, just a couple quick announcements uh, before we uh, <laughs> dial in jennifer matessa and yeah. i hope i pronounced that correctly yeah. i didn't clear that up again in the pre-call um one thing that i'm really excited about on the srn since right now network podcast network we're gonna be welcoming very soon um podcast, Drop the Needle, which has been described as all songs considered for the recovery world. Um, And it's it's fantastic. Paul Fur, and again, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing the last name correctly, um, who has uh, interviewed uh, myself and Claire regarding Claire's book, I've never done this before, for After Party Mm -hmm. magazine. Um, He just recently did a uh, recovery mix for us. A lot of a lot of inside terminology going on here. People keep, try to keep up, mm-hmm. and uh, it'll be coming out November 11th. It's a fantastic recovery mix, uh, as they all have been. But I like this how they each c- keep being, um, you know, wildly unique. Um, I, I guess I should have expected that. Anyway, fantastic recovery mix from Paul coming up November 11th. He is one of the co-hosts along with. Um, two buddies of Drop the Needle, and that's coming to the SRN network uh, very, very soon. I'd say in the next, I think, a uh, couple weeks. Nice. And um, it's it's been going on, but he's he's bringing it to the network. Uh, the other thing is, I just wanted to also shout out Claire's book, Claire Rudy Foster's book. I've never done this before. If you haven't yet, you should. I, um, I
0: read two chapters this week, and they were both great two stories. They're phenomenal. They're phenomenal. Um, it is. It's no hyper so congratulations it's incredible yeah. and the, uh, you uh you can check that flag. out
1: at k-l-e-n and sob backslash fiction dash t-o-c or just go to the recovery revolution dot online and you'll find it uh and you can order ebook uh hardcover and i think there are still a few limited editions available i just got mine and it's cool as shit yeah um <clears throat> Okay. Cool. Uh, I think that oh, do me a favor, go to on our own dot supply and buy a t shirt. On our own dot supply buy a t shirt. Thank you. Okay. All right. Uh, You're welcome. Of, <laughs> you, you guys got anything? <laughs> oh.
2: Should I have, uh we're going to Austin.
1: We're yeah. going to Austin for WAFTIAC. WAFTIAC. We, agnostics and free thinkers. Next Thursday, we'll In even AA yeah. convention 2016. Yeah. ATX. Woo. Some convention? No, it's in a hotel. It is again. Check that out at the Recovery Revolution dot online. The calendar upcoming, uh, and you'll get the dates and dates and all that stuff. Uh, I'm on a panel on Saturday at two o'clock. Come check it out. Uh, We're going to be hanging. Lots of people you know and love will be there, and it's not too late. If you're in Austin, show up. Mm -hmm. Okay. What else?
0: I don't. know. I'm nervous talking about sex on this show, man. So let's but get not around.
1: nervous about talking it off the show.
0: No, yeah, Mike. I'll talk about it off the show all day.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you too, Jeff. And <laughs> People you too. Like,
1: Quit talking about sex. Here so we much. go again. <laughs> and I did warn Jennifer in the pre-call. <laughs> we're irreverent, bordering on juvenile. <laughs>
0: so we're and, not gonna. Yeah, but, which but
1: we're gonna. We're gonna rein it in. We're gonna rein it in. We are. And. Um, Whew. You know, I'm, I just—we all know—I just turned 50. I got to be able to talk about stuff. You're a grown-ass man. You I'm are. Grown you can ass talk about it now.
0: Yeah. yeah. And the and the excerpt from her book on the site is amazing. It's a really
1: well it is phenomenal. If you haven't piece, yet, yes, um, read it as soon as uh, you're done listening. Yep. All right, here we go. Let's call in Jennifer. And uh, Jennifer, if you're listening, turn off your what you're listening.
2: You're going to be okay, Jeff. I don't know. Man. If you I'm need nervous. to hold my hand. I can. You can. You always can.
1: <laughs> Three Jennifer. Jennifer.
3: Hi, guys. Hello, Hi. Jennifer. How uh, are
1: you? We're doing great. are nervous, Jennifer. Got, uh, Jeff.
3: <laughs> Hello.
1: And Hi. Matt. Hi. And uh, hopefully by the end of this, you'll be able to differentiate between our voices. And uh, I didn't um, confirm with you, you have a book with your last name on it, so I assume you're you're out with both names, Jennifer. And correct me if I'm wrong, Matessa? Matissa. Matissa, Thank you. I, I'm always supposed to get that information in the pre-call. I never do. Um, That's cool. <laughs> so, uh, welcome.
3: Did I hear somebody say he was nervous?
1: Yeah. Uh, Jeff's nervous. I'm nervous. uh Because we're going to talk
0: about sex. He's on perpetually the show. nervous, so, but but anyway, let's. Yeah, we'll just take it slow, right? <laughs> like the first time, right? It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, like we're virgins talking about sex on this show. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, why does it feel that way?
1: I don't know. I think for for minutes, kind of weird, right? Or it just feels weird. I don't know. I think. Uh, yeah, I I'm know. not sure. I, I know, um, and I, I talked to you. Well, first, let's let, let me let me just let everybody that doesn't know. Yeah, uh, let's introduce Jennifer's. The guest new book, the, or, or book that we're talking about is Sex and Recovery and, will you give me the, the subhead?
3: Yeah, it's called A Meeting Between the Covers. There you go. And it's a play uh, on words. It's a terrific
1: oh. play on... Yeah.
3: I, th- uh,
2: I, got, I think I got it.
3: Uh-huh. <laughs> as long as it's not in a
4: church <laughs> basement,
1: right? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> okay, right. With bad coffee. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, and, I, you know, I, I think you and I talked about this in the pre-call that uh, it's a tri- tricky topic, Um think, like under the best of circumstances. And, you know, to that point, I think that's why your book is, is needed and valuable, right? Um, because it is a tricky topic under the best of circumstances for many people um, to talk about, particularly live on air. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I can just say that um, do you want me to just share how this book came to be written? Yeah, yeah um, totally. it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> so, um, this is my f- fourth book actually. Right. And and it'll be my it's my second book about addiction and I was I was touring around the country for the previous book which was published in 2014 and it was called The Recovering Body mm-hmm. and and Hazelden who published both of these books had had come to me and asked me if I would do a book about physical recovery actually they called it the exercise book um, because nobody had been writing about exercise and recovery and when you come into I I go to a 12-step fellowship and a lot of people when when they go to a 12-step fellowship figure out you know people tell them and we have a spiritual malady and everything you know there's no problem that there's not a spiritual solution well you know, I came off is it okay to swear on the show Absolutely I, not, came, <laughs> I came off a shitload of drugs, like a massive load of drugs in two thousand eight. I was on fentanyl, which is the drug that mm-hmm. that is actually killing heroin addicts yeah. across the country and it's very, very fortunate that I didn't overdose because I was abusing fentanyl um, so, but when I detox from it, I'd been on heavy duty opioids for six and a half years and then I'd been on Vicodin and stuff like that for, I don't know, three, four, five years before that. For migraine and fibromyalgia, so yeah, I was on fentanyl wow. for fibromyalgia, right? Yeah.
4: Um,
3: and, and when I stand in front of doctors and say that, I just stood in front of the doctors at the University of Pittsburgh last week and said, "Yeah, I was on fentanyl for fibromyalgia," and they were just looking at me like, "How? You know, how did you manage to do to get into that position?" Mm-hmm. Um, it was not the greatest medical practice, and. Um, I went into menopause. I was in early menopause for two years while I was on those drugs, so I lost bone density. Um, I talk about that as a sexual consequence of drug addiction because it is a sexual consequence. I mean, when you're in menopause, your sex drive changes. Your entire sexual response changes. You're, you you feel about 80 years old when you're 37, You know, mm-hmm. which is not cool. Um <laughs> so yeah, anyway, I and I also figured out that I couldn't have orgasms while I was on um, this ton of drugs. Mm-hmm. you know I just when I was on the load of drugs that I was supposed to be on or more when I was abusing them i couldn't I couldn't have an orgasm in bed, and I bought a vibe to test it out. Mm-hmm. I had seen the Sex in the City show where Charlotte buys the rabbit vibe. And I thought, okay, yeah, that's the one I'm going to buy because
4: that's a good one.
3: That must be the good one, you know? So I shelled out 80 bucks and bought the vibe and like cranked it up and it did not, I could not get off. But when I would run out of drugs, um, when I went into withdrawal, like when I ran out, or went into withdrawal for any reason, I could have multiple orgasms, oh, which I'd wow. never had before. So I thought, wow, this is pretty amazing, you know. And also when I would go into withdrawal, all of my senses came back. Like I could hear music really well. I'm a very mm-hmm. musical person and I sing and I could sing again. Mm-hmm. I wanted to listen to music on my on MP3s and I just never wanted to do any of that stuff while I was on drugs. Mm-hmm. So when I when I started touring for this book and I, I gave you know, I, I included a chapter. Um, it was you know, one chapter about sexuality among six or seven other chapters. Um, I talked about how I discovered this thing about orgasm. And when I would take questions, they would all be about sexuality. Fine, really? And people would come up to me after, after the meetings and say, I didn't want to ask this in front of other people, but, and then they'd ask the question. And one of those questions was from a therapist I can't even remember where she was from now. She said, I work in a treatment center, and we tell the women they're not allowed to have relationships for the first year of sobriety, and we don't let them have vibrators. So how are they supposed to explore their sexuality when they're sober? Mm -hmm. And I had no answer for her. I thought, wow, this is like... this is, I mean, we put people between a rock and a hard place, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's why in this book, I have a whole chapter on, on the infamous one year rule. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I interviewed a lot of, I interviewed three dozen ordinary people in recovery and I heard their extensive sexual histories. What essentially what it was like, what happened and what it's like now Mm -hmm. with regard to sex. Mm -hmm. And a lot of young people, you know, uh, told me that it was a real disincentive for them to get into recovery when they, when they got there and they were like, yeah, I'm new. And they were, they were like, you know, people said, awesome, welcome, have some co- shitty coffee and, and <laughs> cookies. And by the way, don't have sex for the next year. And it, it was just really hard for mm-hmm. a lot of people. And, and in fact, we know that no one does that, right? Right. Like we, we, know, we know that. We know that no one does that. But we tell them anyway, which I think lacks integrity.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, the interesting distinction that uh, uh, just came to me, and maybe because I'm not in the rooms, I, uh, there isn't a distinction, or, or it's made differently. But I've always heard, "Don't get in a relationship for the first year." Is that different than "Don't have sex for the first year"?
3: Well, it is different, and right. it depends on what region you're you're in, in the country, or even what section of whatever city you're in. But mm-hmm. some people care. Some people are told absolutely no sex for a year and some people are told no, no, don't get into a relationship for the first year. Mm -hmm. But I heard stories of people getting kicked out of home groups because the home group itself like patrolled this, this rule, you know, and if, and if you got into a relationship, goodbye, you know, Mm -hmm. get out. We don't want to see you anymore, which I, I don't, That's just not the way that I see um, recovery at all. Yeah.
2: No. Agreed. Um, it seems counterintuitive, and I've witnessed that as well, Where, yeah. wherein, yeah, it's so, it's so stigmatized. And it's sort of the party line, right? Your first year is all about abstinence in many forms. Um, hmm.
3: Well, I think the first year and all the subsequent years, I mean, yeah, it's about abstinence, but I think that the main drive behind everything should be getting to know oneself, mm-hmm. yeah. right? right? So instead of saying... Don't have sex for a whole year. Say, why don't you try to get to know your own sexual response? Mm -hmm. Just get to know your own sexual response. And then, of course, that's going to initiate a conversation. Well, how do I do that? And that's going to mean that we have to talk about sex. And so one of the biggest themes, like one of the biggest structures of this book is um, the call to talk about sex and not just in recovery but but in our society because I think that a lot of us got into drinking especially drinking and smoking Um, Nicotine is way more addictive than other drugs um, Mm -hmm. because we couldn't handle the pressure of going to school dances, getting asked out by a person, Mm -hmm. having a crush on somebody when we were 15, 16, 17, being faced with like getting into the backseat and taking our clothes off and not knowing what to do. Mm -hmm. And so in order to relax in those moments, most teenagers Take drugs mm-hmm. of one sort or another, and they don't talk to their parents. They don't talk to any other people about how to overcome, like and how to establish actual intimacy,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
3: or or how to just get laid and be okay with that if that's yeah. what you want.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, it's funny because, and I think it's weird because I think for for women it's totally different than for guys. Um, I I also think. That as a society, yeah, we're shockingly bad at talking about sex. It's funny. I yeah. And, you know, violence is everywhere. But it's so strange when it comes to sex. Uh, my biggest fear is that the, they're going to think sex is the porn industry, which is what they're going to find. It's online, obviously, mm-hmm. or whatever. we really well,
3: Are things, you talking so about with just, regard to your own children? Yeah, or? my own
0: boys. Like, oh, my God, this is how they're going to learn about it. And it's not how they're going to learn about it, but that's how they're going to experience a lot of it, right? Right. But it's just we're shockingly bad at the at. At, and I don't, and it's I, I I don't know why, but I love people who are trying to do something about it. I love that "Make Love, Not Porn" site that 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 woman from BBH started, and I love the fact that you're you're having these conversations right now. I do think it's it's different for women, though. Do you think that's true? Do you think there were more women that had were confusion in recovery, or was it pretty much even
3: confusion in recovery? Yeah, just had more I...
0: questions, I guess.
3: I think there are more, the biggest difference between men and women yeah. is that more women have um, experienced trauma, yeah. sexual mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it's by no means um, limited to women because I talked with men who had experienced sexual mm-hmm. trauma, childhood sexual sure. trauma, yeah.
4: um,
3: but but a lot more women experience it. And I talked to, for example, I talked to one lesbian who said, you know, um when she quit drinking, (laughs) sex got a lot easier because she said, I didn't have sex with men anymore and I no longer got raped. So, you know, like, I mean, we end up doing, in this culture, mm -hmm. we're so touch averse Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that we end up doing a lot of shit that we like out of, out like, (laughs) because it explodes our desire. Desire explodes out of us. Rather than like getting to know our desire and saying, "Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I want this, but I don't want that," yeah. we tell ourselves we're not allowed to want anything. And mm-hmm. then, and then, it, and then it gets very explosive. So, What's up? Um, just- and it gets it a- and get abusive. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. 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 but even the selection, just the whole uh, sexual assault of the candidates. If I'm if I'm watching the selection as a kid, I don't even know what I have an opinion of M- men's aggressive sexuality in women and how I'm supposed to act, and is it bad to want to have sex if you're a woman? I mean, it just is so confusing just how we are as a society and dealing with it. It's just not, not healthy, is it? There's nothing healthy well, no. about how we deal with it.
3: No, it, it, it isn't healthy, and this isn't, this isn't about boys. It's about girls, um, but I read a yeah. book over the summer by Peggy Orenstein. She's a brilliant journalist. Mm-hmm. Called Girls and Sex. And she interviewed probably 70 girls between the ages of 13 and 19 or 20. Um, and she and she basically came to the conclusion that, you know, parents simply don't talk to girls about sex. I mean, mm-hmm. and parents don't talk to about about, talk right. to their boys about sex either. So I'm going to tell you a story. While I was writing this book, right, I, I had just negotiated the contract for this book. My son um, entered into his first a uh, relationship with a girl.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And he was 17. And she was 17. So they were born like three weeks apart. Very sweet girl, very sweet guy. Um, and I'm a single mom. And we live in a house where he had lived, he was living in the top floor of the house. Um, he had the attic. And she had asked him to his semi formal prom and, and we had been happening to have uh, dinner with his dad who is english one night and he said you guys have to tell me what happens like he'd never been on a date oh. like this before right. he said you have to tell me what to do like I don't know what to do and, yeah. and I and I said here you know you need to talk to your dad about this and his dad said no I'm not talking about this and he <laughs> joked about it and, and then he left and whatever and I thought it was over and I started cleaning up the dishes and my, my son grabs me. Now he's like six inches taller than I am now <laughs> yeah. and he said mama, like he hardly ever calls me mom anymore, he sat me down and said, you have to talk to me about this. Wow. So I, I sat there at the kitchen table and had a conversation with my son for an hour about what consent meant. And I didn't say, it just me. It, it's not no means no, it right. means You talk about what you want. You talk mm -hmm. about your desire. It it doesn't just mean you don't do what people don't want to have happen. It means Mm -hmm. that if you want to do something that's okay and safe and cool and everybody's okay with it, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't feel guilty about it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then I talked to him about, you know, safety and discretion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, and so he he had like a normal sexual experience I think I, mean, I had no idea I didn't pry into his <laughs> yeah. sexuality you know but Congratulations. You know, I, I, I came from a family yeah. that pried into right. other sexuality so I allowed him privacy and I and I allowed him a safe space like he said you know can we hang out for an hour or something after the dance if we want to and we made this deal you guys are gonna laugh but. He, he said, like, what? So- like, should I text you that we're up here? And I said, just, like, leave your purple hoodie on the new old, new old post going up the stuff. So <laughs> well, <I> like that. <laughs> um, it's like the old roommate signal. There. Yeah. Yeah. Right, that exactly. Bad signal.
2: <laughs> so I saw on the doorknob.
3: <laughs> you know, I said, but you have to keep your phone on. Like, if your phone's not on, all bets are off. But that's the kind of thing that, like, I mean, he does not.
4: Yeah.
3: He, I mean, to my knowledge, you, you may call me naive and tell me I'm full of shit, but... I've never seen him come home shit-faced or sure. he's never crashed the car. He's 19 and he's never, you know, he's never gotten into trouble that way. So, mm-hmm. and I just, I just think that, I mean, what I found out in this book is if we could protect our children from trauma, including sexual trauma, and the, and the Adverse Childhood Experiences study bears that out amply. Right. Yeah. Um, you guys have heard about that study, right? Yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I mean, I had six of, out of ten of those. My mother had six or seven, yeah. and my son had two, and he no longer lives with any. So the the more that we can limit the trauma, and the more sanely we can talk to our kids about sexuality, I think we could cut the rates of addiction within two generations by half.
4: Wow! I mean,
3: that's my feeling. Really? Yeah. I i There's, I, I don't crazy. have any science to bear that out yeah. because. There is no science wow. being conducted w- with respect to addiction and sexuality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's only sex addiction. They only study sex addiction. They don't study sexuality in people who are recovering from substance addictions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if we would study this, we might be able to come up with some recommendations yeah. or some ideas.
2: Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, it, yeah. I mean, your your story's pretty typical, where sex just was this. It was not about mutual consent or fun or anything good. It was just, when you were using, it was just this thing that you had manipulative power over and you used it. And then, yeah, you had no idea when you got into sobriety, what it would be like, right?
3: Well, well, that's one of the stories that I told I think, when I was touring yeah. for my last book, which was, yeah, yeah. you know. The book like I, the
0: one that you wrote for the piece, well, or the one I wrote. I mean, the, but,
3: the thing is that I I, I used drugs so that I could look that, so that I could perform really well in bed
4: mm-hmm. so
3: that I would like when it got to be so that you know I knew we were gonna have sex or it was about time to have sex I mean how many married people who have been married 15 20 years like don't count the days like yeah it's about time right and
0: mm-hmm. um, schedule <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, time. yeah. yeah. Oh, right, my exactly. phone just pinged
3: yeah <laughs> <laughs> So I'd like, you know, go off my drugs for a day or so Hmm. and I'd go into withdrawal and then I could like, I could be super awesome in bed and I did it, I did it because I wanted him to have like a really good time and I wanted him to see that, that he made me feel good, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I gave up drugs, like having sex got very hard. I had no idea how to like just have sex, mm-hmm. you know, like just, I mean, I, I had no idea. It had been so long since I've had normal sexual response. Mm-hmm. I just was like, I have no idea what's happening to me. Like, um, and it was very, very hard. Um, it, it got very hard to take my clothes off with my husband. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and it was, you know, I'm not going to talk very much about that, but, sure. yeah. um, but it you know it was it brought out a lot of the a, a lot of the sort of fissures in our relationship that had that had been hiding not only under my, under the my drug use but also under a lot of other behaviors that we had in the marriage and when i stopped using drugs then all those then every, it destabilized everything
4: mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm.
3: and like people would tell me you know oh this happens you know people this this happens, it's normal. And I, 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 I didn't know. I thought I got sober and I thought now everything will be perfect.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> you know? always our thought is that no. okay, yeah. now yeah. now I don't I won't have any problems and I'm not anesthetized but, against all these various things. And God, it's never the case, is it?
3: No, mm. no. It gets very, very difficult. And, and it was very hurtful to both of us. But um but like the way it's turned out, it's been, it's become a real um I don't know. I mean, I just feel like, along with everything else, like they say, they say that you have to practice these principles in all your affairs. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's true. You know, I mean, I don't want to separate out anything in my life and not apply my values to the those mm-hmm. things. Um, and if if I do that, I know that I, I I'm behaving in some kind of unhealthy way. And I'm I'm uh... so anyway. What I was going to say is that it it's turned out. Much better, you know, for for both of us because we no longer f- we no longer live together. We no longer fight like cats and dogs. My son lives in peace. You know, mm-hmm. it's just better. Um, and you know, I've really discovered my my sexuality for the yeah. first time, and I just turned fifty two on Sunday. So
1: mm-hmm. uh, nice, yeah. Happy birthday, yeah, and
0: happy Thank sexuality you. discovery.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, so Thanks. I mean, so you. <laughs> got sober within your marriage. Um, so you were, sort of, began figuring all this out in the context of a relationship you had had before, during, and after your your sobriety. Um, I mean, for me, it's all intertwined with, as a, you know, anybody that's listened to this podcast is probably tired of hearing me talk about it, but, you know, socially anxious introvert, um, very, you know, less so now, but certainly when I got sober, just uncovered a lot of insecurity just in general, as I'm sure it does for a lot of people. Um, but it's so just, it was intertwined. And I talked to you about this in the pre-call, inter- intertwined with just intimacy in general, figuring out how to even begin to get into a relationship or approach a relationship so that sex might even be a Possibility, right? You know? right. Um, and Jeff Jeff bore witness to this with one person in particular who I just, oh yeah, awkwardly courted yeah. for like months, and uh, just w- was just terrible at it. Um, what and, do you mean?
3: What do you mean terrible?
1: I just, it was like I was. Um, Don't hold back. <laughs> no, I'm, just, no I, I'm trying to I, think. It's like uh, I just I just couldn't figure out how, and I don't know. Maybe you know. Obviously, there's there's two people involved in it, so it's not entirely my awkwardness. But I just uh, I I couldn't. Um, <laughs> I keep wanting to say close the deal, so I guess I'll say close <laughs> the deal. Um, and uh, but just beyond that, the, I couldn't figure out how to manage the relationship and that sounds so cal- so cold but effectively I couldn't I, I don't know maybe Jeff has some perspective mm. on that from yeah. outside but I don't know he just watched it not happen <laughs> <laughs> like and, fumbling uh, around yeah fumbling around and uh yeah I remember one point in this relationship Jeff I this is this stuck with me because okay. of how awkward it was. You you asked us in the same room together. You, said, Are you guys doing it in the stairwell yet? And I was just we weren't, and it was like so far into the relationship that um, we probably should have been. Yeah, you should have or could have been, been. Um, and we weren't. And I was just like the old me, the 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 you know drinking and drugging me would have been, and, you know, <laughs> right. Um, and they tell us that. At least in the rooms
2: that you'll intuitively be able to handle situations mm-hmm. which used to baffle you, you. Used to baffle and I found you, right. it completely the opposite. Right, right, exactly. Like, with regard to sexuality, yeah. you mean? or yeah. with everything. Yeah. well, yeah. It, everything, but also sexuality. Everything <laughs> baffled me. I always felt like the the drunk and high mat would just take these leaps of faith, and mm. you know, it it, it it was much less calculated. And I think that we have a tendency to just that paralysis of overanalyzing and trying to engineer every moment. Um, um, yeah, I didn't know any of this about you, Chris.
1: Well, yeah. and prior to that, what's interesting is, the prior to that, um, I, I had gone 10 months. I, I had a general sense of don't get in a relationship for a year. About 10, 11 months um, when I got sober, I did it, I made it, what in retrospect was a terrible mistake, both for myself and the other person. And I decided, okay, I'm going to now go back, try to get in touch with the last person I was in a relationship with, not try to get in touch, but try to rekindle something and have that be my, my relationship now that I'm sober. Um, which was just, you know. That, in, that sounds you, like a bad idea. You can guess okay. it was just a bad idea. <laughs> um, but what that allowed for was... um you know, ease of going back into something familiar. <laughs> I could have sex, and you know, because it was familiar, it was all familiar. We knew each other, and now I'm so Yeah, yeah. So it's bound to be easy and and comfortable or something. Um, and everybody's happy because now Chris is sober and not such a dick. Um, and uh, so I did have a have a relationship, an unhealthy one for a few months, immediately after, getting you know, about 10, 11, 12 months. Um, and then after that, trying to have the first new relationship mm-hmm. just proved super challenging um, for me. And, uh, yeah.
3: yeah. Well, I just think, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to, the, this is fascinating stories, um, and I'm just reminded that we tricked ourselves right when we started Mm -hmm. drinking and using drugs that that these would be um our choice through through which we could achieve intimacy like Mm -hmm. we would go through we would drink and then all of a sudden we'd be able to be intimate we'd be able to take risks Mm -hmm. and leaps of faith like you said but actually drinking and using shut me off from people Mm -hmm. they they it was a delusion that that it allowed me to achieve more intimacy. I, when I was manipulating my sexuality through drugs, I was thinking to myself, "Wow, you know, like I can do, I can do this. Like I can actually do this. I can make this happen, mm. um, and I can, I can guarantee that we can have a good time in bed." But mm. that's not really, that's not real life. I mean, that's not, that's not called communication and intimacy that's called manipulation and dishonesty mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you when, you, when you were guaranteeing you ha- were having a good time were you having a good time or were you just guaranteeing that he was having a good time
3: well i was having a good time but but was yeah, like that
0: bad like oh this it's is cool not,
3: <laughs> it's not anywhere like the good time i've learned that i can have mm. in sobriety yeah, and, yeah. um which is very spontaneous it's very um I don't know I have no idea what will happen and I still go ahead anyway. And and that's a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. Like the leap of faith is not taking a few shots and then going mm-hmm. ahead. <laughs> you right. Know?
4: Right. That's
3: pretty that's pretty um that's pretty fear-driven behavior. Mm-hmm. But but um no, so like I did have an okay time, but I'll tell you, I was I was totally obsessed because I'd been in withdrawal for however long. Like within five minutes I was using, you know, right. there was like no lounging around and feeling your skin against his skin and like just feeling very peaceful. And I don't know. I mean, there was nothing that. It was all about, and I, talk, so many people said the same thing. Like they, you know, I talked to a, a young guy who was a heroine who used heroin and he said that he, um, he could never have orgasms when he was like loaded on heroin and he was down in California, and I can't remember, in the Bay Area, and he was going to go to a concert with this chick, but he had this bag in his pocket, right? And he was torn. Like, he hadn't had sex in a while. The way he put it was, I hadn't, I hadn't had sex in a while, so I figured it was about time to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the way we t- we, we think that's about it in good. addiction. Like, we don't think, yeah, I'm out with this beautiful woman, I really like her, you know, like, um, I'm feeling attracted to her or whatever. No, it's about time I had sex, and she's the one who's here, so I'm going to have it with her, but I have this bag in my pocket. Hmm. So he was torn between using the dope and having sex. And what he did was—it's classic. He used half the bag, right? Mm-hmm. So, so he uses half the bag, and, <laughs> and he goes just to bed with her So he I can still big, have an
0: orgasm and use the rest right? afterwards.
3: He has an orgasm, but not as good of one right. as, he, as if he'd had, you know, you know, no drugs. And then, and then, like he said, within. Two minutes, he was in the bathroom using the rest mm. of the dope. and um, So that's like, yeah, that's like the way we behave when we're inside this, this illness, which is characterized by dishonesty, like distortion of the truth right. and obsession. And, and once we, we heal from that, to any extent, any, any significant extent, can have sexual contact that isn't driven by obsession and distortion of yeah. the truth.
0: So I'm listening to you. I'm wondering. So two things, just to kind of talk about the advice of newcomers in the program. I do. The only advice I've ever heard is stay out of relationships. I think that's true. And I remember people telling me like it was okay to have sex as long as you were totally honest with the person you were going to have sex with, and saying that okay, this is my first year of recovery. I'm not going to be in this relationship, but mm-hmm. let's you know have sex because whatever. As long as everyone knows that score, it was right, fine. there will be, there will be no cuddling. Yeah, there'll be this no. Is, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not <laughs> sure how this is going to go. Right, <laughs> right. Going to be but, like an ATM withdrawal. We just right. do, and then we're and done. Maybe we'll see a movie right. or whatever. I don't know. Um, so there's that, but so, so I think that's fair. But then I think there's the other thing of sexual addiction itself, and you had mentioned that people have written a lot about that. Because um, I think sex is one thing people use to replace alcohol and drugs, or that's an easy thing to go to, right? Yeah. Um, The biochemical reaction is the same, and certainly, like I think, if I was going to say what my problem was, it would certainly be on that side of the fence. But do you find a lot of people when you're when you're getting into these things, is that like how many addicts are actually sex addicts, or has that been a problem when just your your uh, foray into this world of sex and recovery
3: has sex addiction been a problem has sex addiction I mean, been I, a
0: problem for a lot of people that you you have interviewed is that like I a concern or is that just
3: i wouldn't say it was it was a problem for most It by not it wasn't a problem for most people and it, it wasn't even a problem for a significant portion of the people yeah, i probably. think some of the people had problems with um like I would say more sort of love addiction, yeah. sex, mm-hmm. like sexual obsession like mm. Yeah, needing, love addiction, that's a good one. Yeah, like needing to be with a person at all costs and yeah. then always choosing somebody who is unavailable mm-hmm. because that's their pattern, that's been their pattern mm. all their life or that that was the way their their father or their mother was and then right. and so they choose somebody like that and then because the person is so unavailable they obsess about it and they don't recognize that the obsession is like the same Deal is like the obsession over drugs yeah. or alcohol, um so I mean I tend to think that any any time I get into obsession or distortion of the truth, I'm sort of headed back backwards yeah. um yeah but and and I think that the guys who i mean I talked to one guy in particular who had a, a terrible problem with porn and and prostitutes um like I think. I think he wasn't really I'm not sure he was addicted to sex per se like um or per, or maybe I I'm, I'm not an expert in sex addiction sure. but he was certainly addicted to like the anticipation I mean he did not want um actual sex he <clears throat> he wanted to plan for the Ill- illegal transaction wow. I mean he
4: mm-hmm.
3: he, oh. he fantasized about like Going up the steps to meet this person, and <clears throat> the actual sexual act paled in comparison to all that fantasy, um, and and the planning and the paying and the the fear about getting arrested and all of that. So.
2: Interesting, and that and that's funny because I I I know I experienced when I would would score drugs. Sometimes there's this the anticipation of mm-hmm. scoring, and then yeah. right well, afterwards exactly. that release of dopamine, and it's it, it, obtaining it. And fantasizing about it is yeah. is, is it has that's its strong own thing. strange yeah. reward system. <laughs> yeah. um,
3: well, it gets you out of your head, right? I mean, it right. distracts you from everything else you need to be doing in your life, Right. And, yeah, and including all the pleasure, all the legitimate pleasure. And that's a, that's a big part of recovery, sexual recovery, and in recovery, is like understanding what real pleasure is. Yeah. I think that. For some people, like to connect it back to the one-year rule, I think for some people it does mean that they have to be celibate for a while. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> um, I talked to some people who, like I talked to one one um, fluid person, a sexually fluid person who tried to not have sex for a whole year just because she thought it would be good for her. And she managed like nine months and that, that was a real achievement for her. Mm-hmm. She learned a great deal, just staying like feeling her attraction to other people, but not acting on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like not acting on that compulsion. So you can, and I, I even sometimes just practice this in my, my life today, like just feeling my attraction, but not, not acting on it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, knowing that, that, that attraction belongs to me and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be. It's not like a drug that I have to smoke or, or slam or anything I can just and I can just enjoy this pleasure this pleasure is like organic to my body it's like a gift mm-hmm. and, and it's actually leading me in the right direction so but a lot of people I talked to um, were afraid of having sex in er, in early recovery because they didn't want to they thought they equated sexuality with with drug use
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, and yeah. they equated like orgasm with escapism mm-hmm. and because um, they'd used masturbation or used porn mm-hmm. or whatever so much um, that they they just equated it with that so they had to they had to stay away from I mean the guy who spent ten over ten grand on, on online porn and prostitutes, I think he stayed away from sex for seven or eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because he mm-hmm. wanted to learn about his own sexual response. Well,
1: and there's also a sense, I mean, Jeff used to talk about, um, or has talked about feeling when using, like you're just sort of a broken, bad person. Yeah. Like there's a point in your, when you talked about, and for morally bankrupt. And, you know, certainly for me when I was using, there was a, a draw to embrace being that morally bankrupt person to be bad, mm-hmm. um, and just I was bad. And I was going to be bad, and I was going to love being bad. Mm-hmm. And um,
3: you mean like being hung for a sheep as you might as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb. I mean, like if you're going to be bad, go whole hog and be really bad. Is that what you mean? Kind
1: of. Um, and just and just to to sort of embrace the depravity uh-huh. in in all things. Yeah. And um, you know, I'd say at a pretty distorted, you know, in retrospect, um, sense of what it meant to be, you know, intimate. Yeah. And, um, you know, in all respects, you know, including, you know, just the the pure sexuality of it. Um, and, you know, that took, and to some degrees i'm you know i still have to just like any of your addictions you have to sort of be somewhat vigilant and have to recognize when things crop up that aren't um healthy and uh yeah so i, I think I definitely developed a yeah i guess to the best i can say is distorted sense of intimacy and you know how to do it <laughs> you know <laughs> um but uh you know, I, uh, not that, um, this isn't a comment on the profession necessarily, but I mean, there was a period when, you know, I, I dated, you know, strippers ex- exclusively because there tended to be women in that regard that sort of supported that, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, in retrospect, again, that's not ideally the healthiest place to find uh, a healthy sexuality right (laughs) or not no okay (laughs) i'm gonna go with no no as well (laughs) well. Uh, me too i
3: thought it was a trick question no yeah i'm I'm just making
1: sure there was a there was a you know a a lull and so an
3: ominous ominous yeah. Um, yeah
1: yeah and uh
0: did you did you consciously make that choice? Like I'm gonna date only
4: strippers.
1: No, I mean, quite frankly, part of I think what made figuring out relationships, intimacy, and sex tricky initially in sobriety was that often. <laughs> I'm just gonna sound. Uh, I I didn't have to try very hard. No, oh, okay.
3: You didn't have to try very
1: hard,
0: yeah you have to put a lot of effort into that, right so and
1: just, that's uh, my 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 tone and my intent and the context for me saying it that way certainly, at this point certainly is not at all um, I'm, uh, it, it's 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 not as bad as it sounds well, at I, this point. I don't you know at the at the time it was as exactly as bad as it sounds, um, but I recognize that now for what it is.
2: Yeah, um, so I, you're trying to be diplomatic, and you certainly don't want to pass judgment on people for professional choices or what
4: right. may right. lead
2: them to that right. tracted life. You know, I'm sure there are innumerable ways right. that people may end up there, but I know you've spoken before I'm, about yeah. that, that whole transactional that right. c- culturally was just uh, comfortable for you because yeah. it was, you know, certainly it's not prostitution but it was like a, right. you go with certain expectations right. when you go to a, a strip right. club and
1: yeah does any of that make sense does it sound terrible jennifer does it i mean in-
3: well no i mean i just it sounds so much like what i did in bed in my marriage okay. that i mean it's it just sounds like a manipulation it sounds mm-hmm. like you were trying to make it be a certain way because or let me just put it in 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 terms of my own experience i mean i tried to make it be a certain way because i could not handle the the threat and danger of spontaneity you know mm-hmm. so why do you, why do you choose a stripper because you and why do you why do you choose stripper after stripper after stripper because you get into a certain pattern right mm-hmm. and <clears throat> if you were to choose another woman god knows what she would be like i mm-hmm. mean
1: and, and just as a point of clarification, a lot of the want, times...
3: How would you find that out? How would you start the conversation? Who would touch whom first? Have you ever yeah. thought about how difficult it is to actually touch somebody you've never touched before? Sure. I mean, like, that's why I think people drink drink alcohol is to be able to just hold hands in the beginning mm-hmm. or, or kiss each other. You can't... It's just such an enormous it's breaching the the grand it's like leaping the grand canyon for god's sake so but when you choose um when you manipulate it over and over again in a certain way it becomes predictable and and if it's if there's any degree of success with it or what what you might think of as success then why not carry on doing it that way rather than risk you know honesty
4: yeah yeah
3: you know, I mean, like, I don't, I don't mean to like make it be super heavy and deep, but uh, that's the way. Like, um, well, I think I it don't is. know. It's just like,
1: it is heavy. And it, I mean, for me, it's it. There was certainly it has been heavy and deep at points. Um, you know, I, I like to think, um, it, uh, at this point in my life, I'm certainly more evolved or evolved enough to. To um, you know, see my past for what it was, and and know that I'm that's not who I am anymore. And um, you know, and but the the thing too is uh, there's an element of you know also a lot of the people that I was in relationships with, regardless of what they did, tended to also have substance use issues, right? Um, and you know, whatever manipulation was going on, as with people. With substance use issues, um, was it was never just a one way manipulation, right? Um, right. And, uh, you know, and there, there's an element of that too. And there's an element of sometimes what made it easy too was I wasn't the one making the choices. Um, I wasn't choosing, I was being chosen. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's a certain. Uh, in all things, and 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 whatever was being done was being decided for me, right? Um, so, um, you know, there, there's you don't learn anything necessarily that way, except um, how to be a willing accomplice.
3: <laughs> oh wow, right? that's interesting. Yeah, and I I was just thinking that we're talking about all this. In, in like very – in super personal terms, like what you did in these relationships well, and what I did in my marriage and yeah. what these individual people did that I – you know, the heroin addict that I talked about and the other people that I've, I've gotten in my book. But one thing that I really believe now that I've written this book is that <clears throat> this this society – does not want us to have intimacy. I mean, wow. I mean, look, you know, smack and crack and booze—they're not—and—and and for Christ's sake, nicotine. I mean, they're not the only addictive substances. You know, for my money, sugar is—is is the biggest nic- addictive substance on the planet, and it's sold, frigging everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. you walk to the grocery store, and it's like a stash house. We mm-hmm. um, just had and the so, sugar
0: holiday Monday night. It was like. Uh, God. Thousands of bags um, of candy sugar worship
4: being, yeah, being it's terrible. exchanged it's big, for our children. It's
3: very numbing, and it's yeah. and it and it behaves in, in a mild, albeit milder way in the brain than mm-hmm. than heroin, but it does activate dopamine sure. and, and um, endorphins. And you know, and so it, so society gives us all the sugar, cheap sugar, and um and it doesn't let us actually touch each other, and mm-hmm. it doesn't let us talk about sex so like what the fuck yeah. you right. know like, right. it, wants us to be, it wants us to be numb God, and disconnected yeah. right
4: and gives so us mobile it, phones it, it and social media not, it does not
3: want us yeah phones. exactly yeah, yeah yeah and let's talk about how I binged on Ben and Jerry's on Facebook yeah and give <laughs> give you a selfie of this shit you know um, because that's what we do yeah. now that's what we call fun. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't want us to actually connect with each other. It doesn't want us to have genuine pleasure. It wants us to have this sort of distorted, addictive pleasure. Is,
0: is this so, the book your book kind of walk me through this whole process of becoming a healthy person with regards to sex? Is that what the book is?
3: Well, it's, it's, like it's, an- um, it's less a how to become healthy than it is um, starting it like sort of step zero. I mean, that that would be like starting at step one, but yeah. step zero is like let's start to talk about this at least. Yeah, yeah. So the book is organized like a meeting. It's organized mm. like a generic meeting with mm. speakers and topics. And no. I ima- I imagined myself as like the chair of this meeting. And so, you know, and I in this in the topics chapters, I interviewed really cool scientists. I've got a great <clears throat> world renowned anthropologist who studies human skin and she talks about how important it is to touch each other mm-hmm. not necessarily sexually but look look I, I mean have you ever sat on the bus or in you know one of those church basements and looked across and seen somebody who you know hasn't been touched in like a month or mm-hmm. two months you know and that person is actually suffering from something called called skin hunger the scientists call it oh, that wow. it, if, if we, you know, so we know that if are not touched, mm-hmm. they they fail to thrive. The same thing with humans. We need to be touched, and you know, in other cultures, especially southern cultures, this woman taught me, um, you know, South American cultures, southern European cultures. Um, in Italy, men will hug and kiss each other when they greet each other. Mm-hmm. In Brazil, they have this word for running. Your fingers through someone's hair with love and tenderness, and there is no English word for it, but it's just accepted yeah. mm-hmm. in that in Brazilian Portuguese, cafuné is this act of touching somebody that way. And you know, some, surely, I mean, you remember when when someone has touched you that way? It's a tremendously calming. Yeah. And when and when we are touched this way, even if someone just, I mean, I've advocated, you know, if you're if you're in trouble, if you're obsessing over somebody. Romantically, if you're if you feel like you're close to relapse, go get somebody to hug you, you know, oh, yeah. like go sit yeah. ne- right jammed up next to somebody that you know cares about you hmm. and just sit there for 20 minutes because the, the chemicals that race through our, our bloodstreams during those times actually calm down right. the chemicals that make us want to relapse.
0: Hmm. So. Wow. that's fascinating. That is totally fascinating. We've learned a lot yeah,
3: so, tonight. So, so I have chapters that talk about those those ideas and i and they they end with with queries that are designed to help that's people great. don't just um, call your sponsor
0: sport. go hug him. <laughs> 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 that's awesome i'm gonna tell i'm gonna tell newcomers that hug call me I, I will come hug you before you that's pick great. up that drink
3: I'm because i'm looking for ways to bring more touch into the culture that's awesome i, mean, I, I consider myself like uh I consider myself an evangelist for human touch. I mean,
0: you're a hugger. Were you a hugger when you were using? I was always,
3: I was always very physical, like very physically affectionate throughout my entire life. Even when I was using, I always had my son on my lap. You know, I was very, very physically affectionate.
2: That's funny because I am with my loved ones, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, uh, very, very much so. But I I stress a lot about that. Like if yeah, I'm yeah. in a uh in a professional scenario yeah. or something, I'll start worrying about the Who's gonna departing up? hug yeah. hours before it even <laughs> is. I'm not kidding, you know. And um I don't know where that comes from, That's but That's funny.
3: Well, so it comes from our society, yeah. man. Yeah. It doesn't want us to connect
0: i fucking you know. knew it
3: i knew it wasn't me.
4: society
0: yeah
3: <laughs> thanks tomorrow for
0: nothing matt society. and i are at the same we're gonna hug everyone tomorrow Matt. we are we're gonna go on a it's hug gonna be a hug fucking fast fast <laughs> <Fest>. hug rampage, <laughs> <laughs> hug rampage. <That's>
3: right <laughs> remember po- remember to post selfies yes <laughs>
0: yeah yeah <laughs> Eating some sugar. it didn't, it didn't really
3: exist. It didn't really exist if there's no selfie. That's true. It's
2: right, right. Pixar yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> but
1: <job. laughs> um, so hey, just as we're as we're getting near the end here of uh, this hour, I know you you uh, solicited any input from people online. Is there any anything come out of that that you want to address or?
3: Well, um, I've, had, uh, I've had several in- interesting questions. Um, there was one posted um, about wanting to, like, what do I do if I find myself wanting to go out- outside my relationship and sobriety? Okay. I mean, a-, a lot of times questions are asked of me that are-, are simply like questions that you you need to get extra help for. I mean, you know, quite often, like when we get sober, we find out that we have health problems. Problems that we need to address, and then we find out we we have emotional problems that we mm-hmm. need to address. So, I would I would say that that um, that person ought to get ought to investigate counseling. There was also another interesting question um, about like SSRI drugs. Like this mm-hmm. guy who got sober is now on an SSRI because he's he's is so on an SSRI antidepressant, and mm-hmm. it's tanked both of their sexual responses, mm-hmm. wow. and they don't. And, they don't know what to do. Like they have no intimacy. And, and plus he's like fairly newly sober. And so, I mean, one thing I, one thing I've made a priority in my life, cause I have the same kind of social anxiety you're talking about. And I've had periodic depression. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in fact, I'm on, I'm on antidepressant right now. But when I, when I found my current psychiatrist, I said, you know, I can't, I don't want to take any drugs that that messes up my sexual response, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and really there there are very, very few, um, drugs that mess up your sexual, don't don't mess up your sexual response. There are very few psychoactive drugs. I mean, like if you think of any, any psychoactive drug from like, you know, cough syrup to codeine, to Vicodin, to, you know, any kind of opiate to crack and, Co- and coke and meth. I mean, they all mess up your se- sexuality. Mm-hmm. And and Ambien and from Ambien to Zoloft messes up your sexuality. Absolutely. Um, so it's really important to to be aware of like the sexual side effects of the drugs we take, mm-hmm. and to know that they're quite often minimized by um, the medical profession. And then to work closely. Like, don't just stop taking your drugs like your your mm-hmm. antidepressant drugs but but actually talk to again like talk to your practitioner talk to your partner say like how much of this are we willing to tolerate you know what uh, you've got to have a negotiation about right. you know what's more important right now like saving off the depression or or keeping our sexual response. Or is there any way that you can ask your practitioner if there's any way that you can mitigate this this aspect of your treatment because that really can undermine relationships. Absolutely. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, this is – I hope I hope you feel uh, good about this. I think despite any reservations we made no, yeah. at the beginning, I think uh, it's been a phenomenal episode. Yeah.
2: Um, I'm getting – Text from listeners oh uh, yeah yeah we're just like
0: oh cool i wish this was a lot longer okay Um, we'll we'll have we'll do another one we'll do part two
3: (laughs) that would be cool yeah
0: the world Mm -hmm. needs to talk about sex we've established that i love the premise
3: i i'm gonna start a video a short like i think i mentioned this to chris Mm -hmm. i'm gonna start a short video like psa a series of PSAs on video. Come of on, people, that's awesome. Yeah, people talking about how sexuality has changed for them since they got into recovery. I like that. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna get with you guys and see if you're cool. interested in being with being with me on that. Yes, so. we
2: are. Absolutely. Cool. Once and you know all the stigma. Once the levee breaks a little bit, and once you start mm-hmm. having a conversation, mm-hmm. it's so cathartic. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. just want to keep. Oh my god. Going, you know. I-
3: I probably asked 50 people to talk to me. Nobody turned me down. I was right. like
4: ready to have to ask 150
3: to just try That's to find funny. 20. But mm-hmm. nobody turned. I had way more people than I could ever have put in this book. Wow. And to a person, they said, Thank you so much for listening yeah. to me. This was so helpful to me. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, are you kidding me? No
0: one talks about people
3: it. People need to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so
0: funny. Well yeah cuz in recovery you can go to a sex and a sex and love addicts anonymous if that's the problem but just the normal how to mm-hmm. deal with intimacy and sex right. and recovery right. is not talked about ever. No, in right. the that's a whole that could be a whole nother thing it's like yeah. how it's how it's spoken about in the rooms. Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah. Well, well ne- yeah, I go to men's so meetings r- because I can't go to co-ed meetings cuz I realized early on that all I would think about was having sex with the women in the COID <laughs> meetings.
3: Well, i like, this is too confusing. <laughs> No, but that's a real thing. I mean, right, that's really sure. great that you recognize that because yep. look, we go into those meetings and we talk about super intimate stuff, right? Yep. Yeah. And then, and then all the drugs are like leaving our system, and our <laughs> our our hormones are coming back online, and suddenly, like, I started seeing all the soccer dads. I was like, holy shit! Yeah. Where did all these men come? Soccer
0: from? dads. <laughs> it. Look at these hot soccer dads. That's when you know you're sober. Those when you, cargo when, shorts. Yeah. <laughs> but, Lordy.
4: <laughs>
0: oh
3: my god. All
0: right. Well, we'll have part 2 soon.
3: Okay, great. It was great talking to you guys. Thank you for having me on. Hey,
1: okay. thanks for joining and uh yeah, thanks for uh yeah, making it a great episode and and work, walking us through that. And yeah, and we'll follow up uh, off air uh probably tomorrow about the great. video
0: series. Cool.
3: <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Awesome. All right, guys, take care. Thanks, thanks so much, Jennifer. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye
1: alrighty we are outie on a super right. now Over we're gonna yeah. do you I'm, guys want
2: to cuddle yeah
0: <laughs> I do I thought like if you can stop addiction by having honest talk with your kids about sex right mm, that, yeah. that premise was amazing I want to go revisit that premise.
1: lots of that food is, for it, thought it, it, terrific, that's actually what I, what I one thing I wrote down absolutely to revisit because it's significant the substances used to allow yourself to do